Good morning. Today is going to be uh, much different than you probably expected coming in. Um, it's going to be a lot different than I expected even a few days ago. Uh, I have really difficult news that I need to share with you this morning, um, and it's heavy and it's heartbreaking. And so what I want to do is I want to pray, and in praying, I want to give us an opportunity to um, just kind of prepare our hearts and put our confidence in Jesus. And I also, in praying, want to give an opportunity uh, that if there are any children in the room uh, with you, what I'm about to share is sensitive. And so if you don't want them to hear that as I pray, uh, you can um, take them out for a few minutes and then come back, come back in. God. You are a refuge and a strength to us, an ever-present help in time of trouble, and to stand before uh, people that you love, and to stand before people that you know. Uh, I feel acutely the difference between me and you. I feel the difference between a man and God. And so I'm asking that in these next moments uh, that you would meet us, that you would be the one that offers what we need, that you would comfort. Would you be with me, God? I feel frail in this right now. We love you. Amen. I'm going to read a statement. As Christians, we are called to make war with our sin and through grace to lead lives marked by holiness, specifically Elders and pastors are called to be above reproach. On Tuesday, we learned of a pattern of serious and grievous sexual sin that has required both the elders of Citizens Church and the Village Church to make a sober and serious decision. It came to light Tuesday that in 2016, Hunter Hall committed infidelity with another adult member of our church, which disqualifies him as an elder and staff member, and he has therefore been removed from both of those positions. A person involved brought to light what happened, and when Hunter was confronted, he admitted to the sin. I need to keep reading, but I am so sorry. I am so sorry. He probably have a myriad of questions, and we'll be creating space for that today and in the coming days. Before moving on, I need to say again what I just shared, as it's hard to process. On Tuesday of this past week, the elders of Citizens Church were informed that Hunter Hall committed infidelity with an adult member of our church, resulting in him being disqualified as an elder and being removed as both an elder and staff member. This disqualifying sin happened in 2016, but came to light this week, the sin was not confessed, but was discovered by someone involved, and when confronted, Hunter admitted to the sin. Know this, we are committed to caring for all involved in this situation, including those sinned against, the Hall family, Hunter, anyone else directly affected, and you. Committed to caring for you. Though there are serious and difficult consequences involved, we are charged with ministering to the brokenhearted and giving the grace Jesus has given each of us. 
We will do everything we can to walk with every person impacted and affected by this, not just now, but in the months to come. I'm gonna stop reading and start talking. And before I do that, I need to pray. God, we love you. This is hard, and you know that. This is difficult, and you right now know how everyone is responding in the room. You right now are present in the range of emotions. And so God, what we're asking is we're asking that in this moment you would uh, unite our hearts together. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity even in our hurt, even in our confusion, we have an opportunity as one people to sit in how desperate we are for you, and we have an opportunity as one people to plead with you to help us and to love us. Amen. I'm so sorry. Um, I know that you came into today expecting something much different than this, and so did I. Um, today is our first Sunday as Citizens Church. Many of you have spent hours, so much energy and emotion preparing uh, for this day, and instead of it being a day of celebration, it's a, it's a day of sadness, and it's a day of pain. And what I'd like to do in this moment is just acknowledge that there's so much I want to say, because I love you, and I'm committed to, to walking in this together. There's so much I want to say. Um, there will be space after the service to pray, to ask questions. We're gonna send out a communication this afternoon to our members with some more details. Tonight, tonight, we're gonna gather at five and just be together and worship together and beg God uh, to meet us. Um, and much of maybe what you're wondering will be answered in those spaces. There are some things I do want to say in this moment um, as they are just heavy on my heart. There are a range of responses happening right now. Gosh, some of you have been here a few weeks and you don't know who we're talking about. And I'm so sorry, that's gotta be so confusing for you. Many of you, on the other side of that, you are here because of Hunter Hall, the man we're talking about. Um, and you're close and you've been impacted deeply by his life, and, and there's just so much that maybe you're, you're thinking of, and, and in that, I want you to know this, and this might not be the time to tell you this, but I want you to hear it from me. You are not responsible in any way for this, especially to those of you who are close. That might sound odd. As you process, what will happen as you process is that you'll begin to ask questions like, should I have seen something? Or you'll begin to ask questions like, should I have said something, or should we have done something? And that kind of guilt-based reaction is just not what Jesus has for you, my friends. It's not what Jesus has for you. It's natural to wonder if there was something that a group could have done. It's natural to wonder if there's something that the church could have done. And I need you to know this. As a pastor who's been here from the very beginning, you are a joy to lead. You are a sweet people. You're kind and you're generous and you're thoughtful. And even if you weren't, everyone is responsible for what comes out of their own life. Everyone. No one's sin falls on anyone else. No one's. 
This isn't on you. You're not responsible. I also want you to know that this does not cancel out the work God did through Hunter. Something I wondered, something I questioned. For many of you, he preached to you and that preaching ministered to you. For many of you, he uh, walked with you and counseled you. For some of you, he officiated your wedding. For all of us, he was part of bringing this place together. For all of us, that's true. A couple years ago, um, my little brother, I've shared, he's got health problems. And a couple years ago, my little brother had some, he's just in bad shape. And he's going to have a surgery. And we were really scared about what that might mean. And I was processing that. And God used Hunter as someone who has suffered in his life. God used Hunter to speak words of encouragement to me and to be present with me in ways that I just remember. And this doesn't cancel that out. This doesn't cancel that out. You can despise the sin. You can be angry and disappointed and sad and broken for the sinner. And you can be grateful for the work that came out of his life. And you can be all of that all at the same time. I'm not about to say this as any way to diminish the seriousness or gravity of his sin. I'm going to say it because it's true. God uses all of us despite us. He uses all of us despite us. And the ways God used him in your life are not canceled out because of his brokenness. The last thing I want to say before we go to God's word, just to hear from him in hopes that he ministers to us, is to just answer the question of what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Citizens Church? One of the first questions I got from someone as we're waiting through this last few days is, are we still going to become Citizens Church? Hear me, we are. We already are. In so many ways, we have been. And so, yes, and so practically myself, along with Adam Hawkins as lead pastors of this church, will continue leading Citizens Church along with our elders and along with our staff members who, who are men and women who have prayed for you and wept over you and thought so much about you this week. And I know for some what this means is it'll be so painful and disorienting that you just can't remain here with us. And I'm so sorry. And I understand. I do. Let me try to offer something that I think God is doing if you just think about the timing of all this. We were becoming Citizens Church as a people who are very strong, and now we will become Citizens Church as a people who are hurting. We went from sprinting to becoming our own church, and now we are going to limp as our own church and limp for a really long time. And what I believe with all that I am is I believe that God will use a hurting church, that God will use a limping church in a way that we will one day look back on and say, as Paul said, his strength was made perfect in our weakness. I believe that. We're not going to have a sermon right now, at least not the way that I had planned for us to have, but we will go to John 19, verse 17, and let God's word minister to us and spend just a few moments here before turning to pray together. Would you turn there with me? John 19, starting in verse 17. In God's providence and in his kindness, uh, he knew what we would need today. We were already planning on being in these passages, and these passages are about the death of Jesus in our place. 
These passages are about the crucified one and the pain that he knows and, and shares with us. And so I know that many of you don't know where to go with what you just heard. I don't know how you're feeling about what you just heard. And so let me plead with you for a minute. My plea, brother or sister, my plea if you're angry, my plea if you're hurting, my plea if this is stirring up in your life your own sin, my plea if you've been, this bef- been through this before and it's re-traumatizing for you, my plea is that we would please together the first move we would make as a people is a move towards the cross, that we would consider Christ crucified. Look at verse 17. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the same place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. Also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother... And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. There's a short poem that I have been reciting in my head over the last couple days. And I want to share it with you. It goes like this. Other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you stumbled to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no God has wounds but you alone. The story we just read is about the wounds of God, the wounds of Jesus. And they are dark and they are hard. Crucifixion was just the most gruesome, devastating way for someone to be put to death. And so this is a violent scene one of immense suffering and immense pain. You have uh, tragedy here in that the best human who ever lived is being treated inhumanely by some of the most depraved humans in history. This is a hard scene. Here's how crucifixion is described. For hours, if not days, the victim would hang in the heat of the sun, stripped naked and struggling to breathe. In order to avoid asphyxiation, he had to push himself up with his legs and pull with his arms triggering muscle spasms that cause unimaginable pain. The end would come through heart failure or brain damage or shock or suffocation. And these are the wounds of God, the the wounds of uh, Jesus that he endured on the cross, and they're hard to fathom. And, And let me answer a question. 
How would a scene like this be comforting on a day like today? Why, in the midst of of pain that's erupting in your heart, erupting in your mind, why would we look at more pain, friends? Because of what his pain means for us, especially today. The world is broken, and people are broken. And what you see in this story is you don't see John telling the details of all that happened to Jesus. You get very little of that. What you get more of, where the Bible camps out, is not on what, being, what is being done to him, but it takes our hearts and our minds to what he is accomplishing, what he is doing in all of this. And here's what that means. People are broken, and this world is broken, and I, together with you, we are sitting in that right now. And where will healing come from? You know, so God, he's not broken. God is whole and God is above the darkness of the world and God is above the injustice and the deception of the world and he's perfect in every way. And if he chooses to remain above the brokenness and remain above the darkness and come and rid the world of all of its brokenness, then the world is destroyed. He didn't come to destroy the world. He came to restore the world. And what we see in front of us this morning from God's word is that he comes to a broken world and allows that broken world to break him that we might be healed. Allows the broken world. John tells us that Jesus is king and then he's answering this question at the climax of the story of the Bible. What kind of king is he? He's a wounded one. He's a wounded one. And hear me. Only a wounded God can offer the kind of hope to a wounded people that we need today. I'm hurt, friends. I'm hurt. I'm sad. I am afraid of what I don't know. And I'm afraid of the unknown. But what I'm not, and what I have not been at all in all of this, is I am not unsure as to whether God does or doesn't know what I'm going through I am not unsure as to whether God does or doesn't know what we are going through. You know why? Because God knows pain. God's been wounded. And God knows more acutely than anyone in the room the pain of sin and the devastation of sin. I went back to a quote that I love from John Stott. I went back to it this week. It was immensely helpful for me. It's long, but I hope it's comforting. He says this, I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to the lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from the thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged in God-forsaken darkness. That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us, and our sufferings become more manageable in the light of his, the gore the tragedy, the violence of the cross feels almost inappropriate when things are going well. 
It feels like a disruption when life feels safe and relationships feel right and when a church is on its way to becoming its own with only a few speed bumps. But as soon, as soon as the brokenness of sin and the seriousness of sin in the world, as soon as we're reminded of that, like in a moment like now, we are jarred out of that comfort and begin to look for somewhere to land, to, for, to look for some sort of place that will help us make sense of what's going on. And friends, there is just nowhere to go but to Christ crucified. Other gods were strong, but you were weak. They rode, but you stumbled too a throne, but to our wounds only God's wounds could speak, and no God has wounds but God alone. For just a moment, I want us to hear his wounds speak over us in what he says on the cross. He speaks to our suffering, and he speaks to our sin. Look what he tells his mom in verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing there nearby, He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Mary, John, just a few feet away from Jesus, watching all of this that he's going through. And their life looks really bleak right now, right? Their life just looks so bleak, the the pain that they are in. Like Mary is there watching her son, and I don't know pain worse than watching your child hurt. She's in a bad place. Not only that, Mary is a widow, and as a widow in that culture, she was being cared for by her firstborn son. Who's her firstborn son? The one hanging on a cross, losing his life right in front of her. What will she do? What will she do? John is there. He's a, a disciple of Jesus. He's young, and, and more than likely, Jesus was more of a father figure and a mentor to him, and he's losing him. And what will he do? And right now, Jesus is in a world of hurt. He's on the cross, and he's got his own set of problems. And what does he do? He looks and he sees them hurting. He sees them hurting. And he opens his mouth. And just to be able to speak, he would have had to push on the nails, take a breath, say what he wanted to say, and let the weight of his body fall back on the nails. And he opens his mouth and he says, woman, here is your son. John, here's your mom. Would you see Jesus with me this morning? In in his absence, Mary would have been so vulnerable and in need, and what does Jesus do? He makes sure that she's cared for. While Jesus is obeying his heavenly father, he is also caring for his earthly mother. While Jesus is working to save the world, he's also working to take care of his mom. You know why? Because he's good and he's true and he is a wounded king who is able to speak to our wounds from his own. And I want you to consider something, friends. If a dying Jesus is able to care for Mary in her pain, how much more confident should we be that a resurrected Jesus can care for us and ours? You cannot escape suffering. You can't avoid it. We've talked about this. You you can't escape being sinned against. You can't escape being lied to. The question is not how do I avoid it. The question is where do I go with it after it happens? Adam Hawkins puts it this way. Pain either transforms you or it gets transmitted from you. Pain either refines you or you weaponize that pain and you use it to wound others. 
That's the question. Where do I go with it? And my friends, where we go together as individuals and as a people to be transformed in our pain, to be refined in our pain, there's nowhere to go but the wounded king who knows what it's like. Nowhere to go but the wounded king who, even in his own need, is able to meet us in ours. There's this beautiful thing happening here that is just so important for us to see this, this day. You have four women and one young man grieving. And what Jesus does when he opens his mouth and he speaks to Mary and he speaks to John is right there at the foot of the cross. You know what he does? He creates a spiritual family. That's what he's doing. You've got Mary who is losing a child and she gets a spiritual son. You got John who is losing a friend and he gets a spiritual mother. This is the birth of the church at the foot of the cross. And in the very first few moments of the church, Jesus commissions his people to care for one another in their hurt. And my friends, gosh, we find ourselves our very first Sunday as a church needing the wounded king to care for us, which he is able to do as one who's resurrected and at the right hand of the Father and also needing one another to walk together in this hurt. What a painful, divine, gracious beginning for us. Other gods were strong. You were weak. They rode, but you stumbled to a throne, to our wounds. Only God's wounds can speak, and not a God has wounds, but God alone. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Out of his wounds, our wounded king says, I thirst, and he says, it is finished. Jesus isn't talking about his pain. He's not talking about being physically thirsty. The Bible says it's to fulfill scripture that he opens his mouth and he says, I thirst. Thirst throughout the Bible is a metaphor for our need for God. The way Tim Keller puts it is thirst represents terminal spiritual emptiness. And so you think about the way David puts it. He says, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts for you, God. If you think about the stories in the Old Testament, when the people rebel against God, we don't need him. What does God do? He withholds rain. So that as the people see that God's creation is so thirsty for him, they would be reminded that they are too, that their souls are. Listen, you were made for God. You were made for life with God. You were made to be satisfied and loved by and to find meaning and sufficiency and sustenance in God and in God alone. And what we all do is we will take that thirst that we have for him to waters that are not God. And that's what sin is. And sin is devastating. When we carry that longing for him to places that are not him, I want you to hear me, beloved, when we carry that longing for him to places that are not him, not only is it never enough, it always costs more than you have. Not only is it never enough, it always costs more than we have. And we go three places with it. We take our thirsts, we float around this triangle from one corner to the other, and we are either trying up here to cope with the thirst we're medicating it, and that's substance, or that's addiction, or that's distraction, or that's relationship, and here's what's so devastating about the coping. Nobody copes in public. 
Nobody. Listen, we always medicate in our hiding and in our isolation, and it's never enough. And it always costs more than we have. And so we come down here and we look to some stand-in savior, someone who can make us whole and satisfy the thirst and offer what we think we need. And, and we always end up placing on them needs that they can't meet. And so my friends and my kids and my spouse or someone who is not my spouse cannot satisfy my thirst and they cannot speak to my wounds. So we come over here. I'll just wait. I will put all my hope I will put all my, my hope for the longing to be satisfied in some future set of circumstances and I will just wait for life to begin and while I'm late waiting for life to begin, I just live a slow death. And it's never enough. And it always costs more than we have. And that is true, my friends, for every single human who ever lived except for one. Jesus never did any of that. He was never thirsty from this place of terminal spiritual emptiness. He was filled and he was full and he obeyed God and never did anything wrong. And so on the cross, when he says, I thirst, what he means is I am going to take on their spiritual emptiness and he is broken for a world thirsty for God and he is poured out in our place. And so he pushes up one last time on the nails and he says, it is finished. And it means that the one who was filled is poured out so that those who thirst might return to God through him, through his wounds. Isaiah puts it this way. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. Listen, he became empty and thirsty that we might be healed. My brothers and sisters, your sins are forgiven your guilt and shame absorbed in a Savior who loved you enough to become thirsty in your place and to be wounded in your place. And so you are made clean by a work that he has already declared to be finished. I need to say something. Let me tell you what happens for some when I read that statement 20 minutes ago. For some in the room, you say, oh no, what if one day I get found out. Maybe right now that means you are taking your thirst to places that no one knows about and this whole thing freaks you out. And maybe that's an affair. Maybe that's an addiction. Maybe that's a thought life. You can go a lot of places from here. You can go further into hiding. You can go further into fear. One of the places you can go is to the wounded king and know that he will meet you with grace, that you can come to him and his wounds cover whatever you've done. Today, please don't hear if I get caught, my life will be over. Would you hear if I come clean, I can have life I've never known. Running from him means it will never be enough and it will cost you more than you have his death in your place, his wounds that can heal even your own sin, it means he will be all you need because he paid everything you owed. Everything you owed. First thing Adam and I did when we sat with Hunter in his living room and he told us what had been found out. First thing we did was we stood up and we hugged him and we told him that we loved him. And more important than that, we told him that God loves him because of Jesus. 
It does not mean that there are not devastating consequences. It does not mean that there is no pain. But hear me, that man has been cleansed by the wounds of Jesus, which means the first thing that meets failure is love. Because of his wounds cleansing him, the first thing that meets failure is love. And that is true for you and your failure, brother, sister. He is all you need, and he paid everything you owed. How free are you to be honest where you're struggling? Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're wondering right now, as I have wondered over the last few days, man, who can I trust? Who is who they say that they are? I get it. The wounded king who loves you and absorbed death for you, you can trust him. You can trust him in a world full of leaders who will fail you. Jesus is not one of them. In a world full of friends who will betray you, Jesus is not one of them. We read statements about Jesus every Sunday. We read statements about Jesus every Sunday, and none of them are about ways that he's failed, and none of them are about things that were hidden. All of them are about how perfect he is, and how pure he is, and how gentle he is, and how strong he is, and how when life comes in around him, what comes out is just more grace, and more integrity, and more purity. In a world filled with people who will wound you, Jesus is wounded for you. And in your wounds, he stands with you. Citizens Church, I'm so sorry. This is not what I wanted to be true about today. What is true today is that our wounded king reigns. He leads this church. He's able to comfort you in your suffering. He's able to forgive you in your sin. Other gods were strong. You were weak. They rode, but you stumbled to a throne. To our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And no God has wounds but Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. I don't know what we need. I don't have answers for all the questions. I don't have comfort for all the pain. I don't have gentleness for the... You have all those things. You're rich in all those things. There is never even a question of if you'll run out of what we need. No question. You are the wounded king. We are a limping church. And you are all we need as we stumble forward. We love you. Amen.